Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia at 9.30 and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. We hope you'll be able to join us, but in the meantime, enjoy this recording of last week's message. I wanted to be a professional golfer. I, I know a lot of kids want to be professional athletes when they grow up, and if you call a golfer athlete, then okay. Uh, but th- so I wanted to be a professional athlete, a golfer. I used to practice golf all the time, and I was really into it, and my mom got me some lessons, and so I was doing that, and uh, that, that was the thing. Um, and maybe I had a lot of potential to do that. I, maybe I was decent. Maybe if I had really worked at it, maybe I could have realized my potential and become someone on the PGA Tour, you know, to this day. Maybe that, that, maybe that could have happened. Um, but I kind of got off track and never really fully realized my potential for golf, and I, and I got off track for two reasons. One, other things became more interesting to me, like girls and cars and things, you know, just stuff just became more interesting to me. And because something else was more interesting to me, I didn't put in the time and the effort it takes to really get great at it. I didn't, I didn't really fully realize my potential because I was unwilling to work hard enough to, to get it. Um, and I was thinking of this idea, as we, as we started a new series today, I was thinking about this idea of potential. Of, of what we can be. And I like the idea of potential, potential energy, you know, potential impact. I, I like the idea that we can be something. And it seems to me we use that word, potential, we use that um, with children a lot, with children, with young adults. We, we look at someone and we go, oh, you have so much potential. And, and, and we mean that as a compliment. Like, we, we're, I'm trying to look into your soul and like project into the future and I go like, you can become something great. I see it in you. And when we say that to kids, we mean it to be inspirational. And it is, you know, we, and, and we, we mean it to be uh, encouraging and we're trying to tell them to reach for the stars and all that kind of thing. And then usually there's like a Disney song lyric that we can throw in there that will challenge them to some sort of greatness is just around the river bend or whatever, you know, like we, we do that. And that's cool. Telling someone they have potential at like age 22 is great because it's all in front of them. Telling someone they have potential in their 40s is not as great. Because in your 40s, you should probably be realizing some of your potential. We shouldn't still be talking about you like you're going to become something. We, we should be talking about you like, hey, no, you're out doing it, right? You've like done the thing, like you've accomplished. Not to say that you won't have more of your life after your 40s. I pray to God that that's true. Uh, but, 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 you know, so at 22, if we say, oh, you have so much potential, it's awesome. At 42, if we're saying that, it's kind of sad. We're like, no, actually, you have a lot of potential still. Uh, you still haven't done a thing yet, you know? And so it occurs to me that as we grow, as we get older, we shouldn't be raising our potential. We should actually be lowering our potential. We should, we should be having less potential because we've actually done it. We've realized it. We've become it. And so that's what I want to talk today a little bit about, this idea of lowering your transformation and really lowering your potential and really it's, it's tied into this bigger idea of transformation. I wanted to start this series today and this topic, if you know me, if you've taken the class that I teach on this, uh, this is near and dear to my heart, uh, the idea of transformation. So we're calling the series that we start today, we're calling it Better because everybody wants to be better at something. There, there's areas of your life where you look at and you go, that's not good enough for what I think I could do or my potential. Uh, and so I want to get better at that. And, and so we all can relate to the idea that we, that we want to be better at something. Um, and, 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 I want, and I want to help. And I want to help in this series by giving us some, some different ideas that are from the scripture. Now, let me lay my cards out right up front. 
this is not self-help. I, I'm not going to give you, like Dr. Philip here, and you know, you, I'm not going to give you what you could easily just go grab at Barnes & Noble and just pick it up, and, and here, here's three steps to becoming better, and here's, here's the way to fulfill your potential, and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I like some of that stuff. I'm, I'm okay with it, um, but to lay my cards fully out here, uh, I believe that God is calling us to be something, and I believe it's only with His power will we actually become who we're intended to be. And I think he has a direction for our lives, and we need to look into that and follow that. And so we're going to dig into the scripture, to things he wrote down, timeless truths that are written for us even thousands of years later. And we're going to pull out of there what we can so that we, we can understand. Because, yeah, it was, the Bible was written to people a long time ago, but human nature has not changed that much. Like, we, we still struggle with the same kinds of things, the same jealousies and the pride and the, the anger and all, the, all these things. We're, we're still doing that. So we're going to look into the scripture and go, what does it teach us? Uh, what are the principles we can extract there about transformation? Um, all of us are becoming something. I was listening to a podcast not long ago, and they were talking about, the guy said, uh, he said, think about the oldest people you know. Think about someone, just imagine someone in your life is old, right? Oldest person you know. Um, he said, chances are they're either amazing, like you think about this person, you're like, oh, they're so like gentle and kind and just like easygoing, and you know they've experienced some hard stuff, and life's kicked them in the gut, but they came out of it on the other side, and they're just wonderful, sweet people, and there's the, the kind of old person that you go, when I'm a really old person like that, I want to be like that. They're wonderful. Or they're terrible, and they're like cranky, and bitter, and like life kicked them in the gut, and they, they just got worse, and they sort of doubled down, and they're afraid, and they're frustrated, and they're like right? So you, you know people like that too, right? And, and, I, and it points you to this idea that we are all becoming something. We're going to end up somewhere, at least on earth in our time that we have. We're, we're, we're formed in a, our character's being formed and all of this is going on a journey in a direction and it's going to end up somewhere. George Orwell says that at age 50, everyone has the face that they deserve. And I thought, oh, that's great. As I, I hope that's not true as I approach 50, but uh, uh, that's an interesting idea, at least and what he's saying about us physically. I, I think there's something also going on there with our soul and our character, that we are being formed and we're becoming something. And so um, I, I want to look closely at what we're becoming. Since we are becoming something, let's look closely and get there on purpose, become something on purpose. Um, uh, let's, let's look at that. So um, uh, to do that, I'm going I'm to talk about, we're going to use the scripture that kind of overarches this whole series, Romans chapter 12. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church at Rome, and a lot of great theology and teaching comes out of that letter. There's a lot of dense stuff in there. Um, but in chapter 12, he talks about us being living sacrifices, and I want you to hear this because there's a lot of good key transformational stuff in here. Romans chapter 12, starting with verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. He starts out by saying, you're to, you're to make, I urge you to make yourself a living sacrifice. Now, to a Jew in the first century, when you talk about sacrifices, that, that's a specific thing. For the Jews, as part of worship, the way you would you would, if you would sin, you would cheat, you would lie, you would, you know, have lustful thoughts, whatever, like you're, you're, you're sinning, 
And then uh, to cover over your sin and to make you right with God again, there would be a sacrifice. There would be an atonement for that sin. So uh, they would have a day of atonement where, you would, where an animal would be killed, like a sheep, you'd, a priest would cut its neck, and then you would place it up on an altar, and they would burn it up. And that, is, and, and that animal had to die for your sin. There's a long history of that in, in the ancient world. And so that's going on. So Paul has that in the background, but Paul knows that when Jesus dies, when Jesus dies on the cross, it is described as a, as, as a sacrificial lamb, that he dies for our sins, and that his sacrifice is once and for all. He, so no more do we need to slaughter animals when we sin to get in a right relationship with God. Jesus has died on our behalf, in our place, and, and his death makes it right so that we can be adopted into the family of God. That's, that's the heart of the gospel. And so Paul knows this, and so when he says, I appeal to you guys to be living sacrifices, He's kind of making mention of the sacrifice thing, but he's saying, look, no, you're not going to kill animals. The sacrifice now is you. you. You're the sacrifice. You're going to give up or put to death things in you, sinful things. You're going to let these things die inside of you and present yourself before God. I mean, you're alive, but you're going to kill off some things. When Jesus says, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross you know, to, to, to follow me. Um, it, it's the idea of taking up your cross. Something's going to die inside you. So there's selfish desires and pride and anger and, and things in there that, that are going to be killed off as you become a living sacrifice. Now, living sacrifice is a little bit of a weird thing because if you're going to sacrifice an animal, you have to kill it first. Otherwise, the animal will crawl down off of the altar. If you're going to, you know, like no animal is going to sit there while you try to sacrifice, like you got, it's got to be dead first. Um, if you've ever had a puppy, you tried to get posed for a family picture, you know what this is like. It's just like, no, no, over here, over here, over here. So, and I think about that when it says we're living sacrifices. It's like, man, how often am I tempted to crawl down off the altar? Because I can. Because I can get squirrely and I can be like, oh, I don't want to do this today, God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk away. Um, so that's kind of, a, a kind of an interesting idea. So uh, to live for Christ is to die to self. And then Paul goes to this, and this is really key. Verse 2, listen to this. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and, and uh, perfect. Do not be conformed to this world. Uh, and so the first idea is this, transformation to change. It will require non-conformity. You will not change by doing what you've always done. The same pattern, the same ruts that you've always been in, you're going to have to change that. A friend of mine runs a coaching firm, and it's called, the name of his firm is called Deviate. And his slogan for the company is off track on purpose. And I love that. It's nonconformity. You're going to have, there's a track that people are on that you're probably on, and you're going to have to get off of it on purpose. You're going to have to decide to step away and, and get out of the rails that, that culture is pulling us in. Um, when Paul says do not be conformed to the world, you have to think about what is the world that we live in? What are we being conformed to? And that's hard for us to talk about sometimes. I've, I've been teaching a class the last couple weeks called Counterculture, and we talk about, man, it's like asking the fish about the water, you know, like what is the water that we're swimming in? We don't know because we're in it all the time. But the way we think as 21st century Americans is a particular thing at a particular time. We don't think the way people in, in Nigeria think. We don't think the way people in France think. We think the way Americans do, and we don't think the way people did in the 1800s. We think about you know, the 21st century, like we are located in a space and time and a particular spot in history, and it's hard for us to look at what that is 
But there are things that we believe, and, and we won't say, oh, all Americans believe this. We will just say, well, you know, everybody knows that. Well, I mean, it's basically understood that. I mean, well, I've just always believed that, and really we're articulating everybody knows when we say that, we mean everybody around me and around our culture and who have the same kind of worldview. These are the things that we do. This is what it is to, this is what the world is that Paul's talking about. What, is, what are we conforming to? We're conforming to American standards of and what, and what is American? American is materialistic, right? It's stuff. It's, it's the things that money can buy. Um, so there's a lot of that. There's um, freedom is a big deal in America to like a crazy level. Like we're just all about it, right? Freedom to the point of like, don't tell me what I can do. I'll talk more about that next week. So let's pause on that one for a sec. Um, individualism is huge in America that, that we get to have our own personal choice of everything catered just to us. Uh, secular humanism is pretty big in America with a, a sort of post-enlightenment rational worldview of, of evolution and all these sort of things that kind of go in with that. Um, and so these are, these are American ways of thinking. And so for us to read what Paul says, do not be conformed to the pattern of the world, for them it's the Greco-Roman Empire, right? And all the stuff that goes along with that, don't conform to that. For us though, we go, it's America. It's, you know, are there good things here? Totally. But are there other things that aren't so good that we need to pay attention to? Yeah, I think so. And Paul is saying, you're going to have to step out of line with those things, and you're going to have to walk a different path. Um, and that's hard, because swimming upstream is hard. Uh, but, but if we are truly people of a different kingdom, we've talked about this even in the last series, if we're people of a different kingdom, we have to walk a different road. So transformation requires nonconformity, and, and really it requires this, number two, transformation requires a different way of thinking. When Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, uh, transformed is the word metamorpho, which is uh, where we get our word metamorphosis. Think about a, a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. It's a radical change. And, and so he's saying, be transformed, be, do, undergo this radical change by the renewing. Is, renewing is this Greek word. It's just basically like made new uh, to make a new thing. Um, Renewing of your mind, the word, the word in Greek for mind can also be translated as like your reason and your understanding. So Paul is telling us that if we're going to change a revolution in a sense of who we are and be transformed to become in the likeness of Christ, if we're going to do that, it's going to require us to think differently. It's going to change our reason, change our understanding of the world. I would say to replace the lies of Satan with the truth of God, maybe we could say it that way. This is what we're, we're called to do. We have to think differently. Now, that's hard because a lot of us feel like, well, how can I think differently? Like, I think what I think. Like, those thoughts just pop in my head, right? I mean, you do that. I do that. We're like, oh, I don't know. I just, it popped in my head. And if you're like me, often then you just said it out loud. Not, not great, right? But, but, but you know what that's like, right? Stuff just pops in your head. Like, who can change that? How can I choose to think differently? But the older I'm getting, the more I'm realizing that we have a lot of power that God has, has wired us up to choose our thoughts. Uh, Viktor Frankl was a survivor of the concentration camps of the Holocaust. And he had an interesting way of viewing the concentration camps as he was in it. He wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. Um, you can read it. It's not a, not a very long book, but he was a psychiatrist. Well, you know, so he's got this psychology background, and he's looking at um, how do people survive the concentration camp. He almost used the concentration camp as this big psychological experiment. At least that's how he got through it. He was trying to study why do some people survive and some don't. 
And one, one of the things he pointed to is that they take everything away from you in the concentration camp. They'll take away your schedule, your decent food, uh, relationships. They will take away uh, family from you. They'll tell you when to work, when to sleep. They'll, they will decide everything for you. And they can take away everything from you. But he says, but one thing. Listen to what he says. Everything can be taken from a man, but one thing. The last of human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances to choose one's own way. That's powerful. They can take everything from you, but what they can't take is what's in here. You get to decide what you think about, how you think about it, how long you're going to linger on certain thoughts, what you're going to let it do to you. You get to choose your attitude. And that is hard because stuff happens that just level us. Stuff happens that feel like it's going to destroy us. And to think like, oh, I have some choice here. Like, this doesn't have to destroy me. Because there's stuff, there's stuff you've probably gone through. You could probably tell me a story right now and you'd say, Chris, I went through this. And it like, it rocked me. And I think, and I would be like, yeah, I mean, I get it. it that would rock me too. Um, but you have a choice. You have a choice of your attitude, your, the thoughts that you want uh, to, to put there. God has given us incredible capacity in the mind to, to frame our situation in different ways. The Apostle Paul was very familiar with that, what he's describing there. He lived out the transformation, the renewing of the mind. What he tells us to do, he lived it. And you can see it in a letter he wrote towards the end of his life. And he wrote a letter to the church in Philippi, and he writes it from jail. And so Paul's life, the trajectory of his life, you know, here's an old guy He's preached about Jesus, one of the most influential figures really in the history of the world when you see what Christianity does from, from his you know, evangelistic efforts. And an incredible guy, he ends up in a hole in the ground in Rome, which is a jail with the rats and you know, they give him some food occasionally or whatever. And then he gets, then he gets martyred, killed under, under Nero in about 64 AD, somewhere around there. Um, that's how his life ends. The guy who's serving Jesus like fully and just sold out for Jesus, that's how his life ends. And while he's in that jail, he writes this, Philippians 4, verse 10. I rejoice on the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now that I'm speaking of being, not, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned, listen to this, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Man, I hang out on that verse for a second. I've learned the secret, Paul says, of facing plenty and hunger. All right, if you've got a secret to facing hunger, I'm interested. If you have a secret to having like lots of great food, I don't I don't know what the, what's the secret there. Do you have a secret? How do we do that? I've learned the secret of need. Yeah, okay, when I'm without, tell me how you get through that. And abundance. Tell me how you get through having a lot. How's that working? Like, it's interesting. Paul frames these things in his mind, and he's like, in whatever situation I'm in, I can be content. And he's writing that from a hole in the ground. And he's like, yeah, it doesn't matter. I can be content. Because to me, I would be like, I can be content when things are good. 
Like abundance, like can we choose? Can I get like plenty and abundance? Can I get those? And, and abound. I know how to abound, not be brought low. Can, if you give me those, I will be content. And yet the challenge is to be content in whatever situation. And then he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, which is what professional athletes say after they win games. I can, but in context, he's talking about, hey, highs and lows. You, 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 can, you can survive no matter what in the way that you think, in the way that you, you frame these things up in, in your mind. How did he do that? I think Paul understood, and he saw the world. He, he was non-conforming to the world that he was in. He saw the world for what it was. He, he recognized that beauty fades, that money is fleeting and not to be trusted, that, that, um, that, that the relationships are what matter, that knowing Christ is, is what matters, that he has eternity in mind, and he's not just thinking about the short term, no matter how long his life is. He's choosing his attitude in every situation. His mind has been transformed. He is a new creation. How did he get there? Well, listen to what he says just two verses before that. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So he makes this list here. Now, the whole whole fourth chapter of Philippians. You should just go back and read it. It's wonderful. And he makes this list here, and he's like, all right, things that are true and noble and honorable and pure, think about them. Like, bring them to mind. Keep them in front of you. And this is one of these things in the Bible where it's like, hey, you know what? This is not just meant to be pretty words. This is meant to be a thing that actual people can actually do in the real world. You can choose your thoughts. And, 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 and he challenges you to that and says, man, focus on this kind of stuff. It, it, it's powerful because the renewal of your mind, the transformation will begin when you start setting your mind on some different things. Um, so how do you do that? Let me give you two quick things. This is real simple. Um, these are two things I have found to be helpful in the journey. These, these may work for you. Um, I don't know. But number one is to read Scripture daily. Um, even if you read a chapter of the Bible or maybe just two verses or something, just get in it every day. And I try to do it in the morning because it will set the tone for the day. Um, I, I want to read uh, Scripture so that God's truth and the way He sees the world um, gets into me. Uh, and, and there's, there's just a, there's a cumulative effect of like stacking that up day after day uh, of the renewal of the mind. The transformation comes when you're just doing this slowly over time uh, and you start thinking different thoughts. You start seeing the world differently. Uh, that's a very, very powerful thing. Um, so, so read every day. Uh, this is why we did Core 52 this year, why we put the book in your hands. You can grab a copy if you haven't. Stop by the welcome table and ask them about that. But Core 52 is a book that takes you through reading the Scripture five days a week throughout the whole year. And it's a powerful thing to, to just get in there and read and, and track with it. Uh, it's, it's really good. So number one, to, to think differently, I try to get into the Scripture and let it drive my thoughts. And then two, I try to reduce my media intake. So sort of like put the good stuff in and keep the garbage out. Um, I got off social media back in September through January, 
And um, that was an interesting thing. Uh, I, I don't know how it works for you, but for me, um, social media in particular, you know, the sort of scrolling the feed did not make me a better person um, and did not make me feel better about humanity uh, and all the other people. Uh, it probably drove more cynicism in me, um, more anger, fear, resentment. Um, there were some cute cat pictures too, but um, mostly... Well, and here's the thing, when the promise of it has been, Facebook's going to connect the world, and, and some of that's happened, right? There's some, there is some cool things. I guess there's people from high school that I want to connect with, and so I can see, and I can see cute pictures of my nephew, um, but I think we have seriously underestimated, and there's articles being written about this, so I, I'm not just making this up. We have seriously underestimated how the mental toll that stuff takes on us, that maybe we weren't designed to connect in quite, quite like that uh, with, with, with people and acquaintances and friends and strangers and people that we can judge and all this stuff. So um, it is, you know, you see the spike in depression and anxiety that's happening. Uh, something's going on there. And so for me, I have found it helpful to try to limit my intake. Um, sometimes that means I don't know whatever the thing is that's the thing today. Um, it's amazing how you walk around in life when you don't know what you're told to be outraged about. Um, it's, it's kind of incredible. It's breathtaking, really. It's just like, oh, I'm, oh, yeah, okay, thanks for telling me. I'm super mad now. Thank you. Uh, so, um, and, and maybe in Paul's day to, to think about whatever's pure, noble, and right and all that, maybe that's simpler because he doesn't have Twitter or whatever. Um, and maybe it's going to be hard for us. Maybe we're going to have to do some extra work to really choose our thoughts because it's so easy. And, and, and people with PhDs are trying to hijack your brain and get you to think about certain things. And so you go, okay, maybe this is a harder thing. But here's the last piece of good news with this. Um, God does not promise to leave us alone in this. He doesn't say, go think about it. Think better. You think badly. Just stop it. And you're, you're on your own, kid. No. Number three is this. Transformation is fueled by the Holy Spirit. So much of what you could read about transformation if you go into the bookstore is a lot of your best life now kind of stuff. You know, do this and you're going to be great and you're going to go out there and you're going to, I don't know, wash your face and change the world and be amazing. Oh, you read that one? Yeah, okay. <laughs> I won't say anything about it. Uh, here's the deal. Here's the deal. I do think God wants us to be better. I do. I think the parable of the talents means something, that God poured something in us and he wants us to maximize what we've got. I think there is such a thing as being slothful and just mailing it in with the life and the potential that we have. I'm in on that. Um, but I don't think God wants us to be better so we can just be so awesome. I think God wants us to be better because uh, there's a world to reach and there's people that need to know him and, and we, are, are, we have a mission and a purpose. We are designed to know him and be in relationship with him um, and to bring others into that as well. And that's what we're here for. We're here for His glory, not our own. And so our transformation is going to be fueled partly by our efforts towards it. It's okay to, to, to put in some effort at change. Um, our transformation will be partly driven by that. Uh, we'll do the work. We'll do the work of taking captive our thoughts and thinking about how we think and all of that. I love that stuff. Um, but also... Uh, the Holy Spirit is going to be inside of us, and He's going to work on us from the inside out. When, before Jesus died on the night of His betrayal, 
he has dinner with his closest followers, and then he's going to be crucified later. And so he has dinner with his followers, and at that meal called the Last Supper, um, you've probably seen the painting of it. Everybody's on one side of the table, sitting next to it. It's weird. With, <laughs> with big Italian loaves in first century Palestine. It's weird. All right. Um, so... Uh, Jesus is there, and what he teaches to them, he gives them this speech, uh, John 13 through 17, you can read it, a long conversation they have over dinner, and here's what Jesus tells them. He's like, hey guys, I'm going to leave. I'm, I'm going away, and they're all like, we don't want you to go away. He's like, I have to, because this needs to go to the whole world, and I can't go with each of you individually everywhere. The Holy Spirit is going to come, and he's a comforter, and he's going to live inside of you. So he teaches about the Holy Spirit there, and then you see in the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit comes upon these guys, and then they have the Holy Spirit inside him. This is what makes us so incredibly different than the rest of the world, than the culture, than, than religions. And in, in so many religions, God is way over there. And in Christianity, it's like, actually, God is in you. His Spirit is promised to be in you. You're not relating to God as one who goes into the temple and sees the fire. You are relating to God as one who has that burning inside of you. Um, the Holy Spirit is inside you and has power to bring about uh, your change. And he, is, he lives inside you and will make you better, better from the inside out. Now, this is the part we get uncomfortable with. If I tell you, if I, if I just don't mention the Holy Spirit and I just get up here and I say, you know, you just need to think different, you're all going to agree with that. You're going to be like, that's a great idea. Think different. What a great slogan. Oh, it's Apple's slogan. That's why it sounds familiar. That's brilliant. Yeah, okay, think different. Really cool, right? We get that. That's Dr. Phil. That's Tony Robbins. That's any of them. That's fine. Think differently. I got it. But you start talking about the Holy Spirit, and now it gets weird in church, right? Now we're talking about church stuff and religious stuff, and you're like, oh, I don't know. I liked it better when we were just thinking about my thinking or something like that. But this is a piece of it. And I understand the, the, how we get nervous about it. If you grew up around maybe a more charismatic expression of, of faith, and you grew, out, if you grew up around people who talked about the Holy Spirit all the time, those people make you nervous, right? Like, maybe if you grew up with it, you're fine, but I kind of was near it. I was adjacent to it with friends, I guess, in, in, in high school, and I remember people coming up to me and being like, Chris, the Holy Spirit has told me something about you, and I'm like, How, what? <laughs> what did they tell you? <laughs> what did the Holy Spirit, why didn't he tell me? Why did he tell you? Is this going to be good? Because it's never good. It's, you know, it's like, oh, no. You know, and maybe that's my baggage and my own shame and my own stuff. And, but I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. The Holy Spirit is alive in you. It's real. He's, he's there and is, and is working on you and whispering to your conscience and, and guiding you and directing you and, and, and trying to shape you and form you. God promises that to us. In fact, Peter, uh, one of the guys who originally heard Jesus say that at that dinner, at that meal, um, listen to what he says as a, as, as a much older man before he dies. He says this, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. I'm telling you, you can read that, you read the Bible, you can read that verse and you can be like, his divine power has granted godliness and knowledge and excellence. That's nice, it's so pretty. That's a nice sentence. What does it say? That his power is in you. You and me. Not the saints, not the fancy people throughout history, not Saint so and so of the cross or the martyr of the. Normal people are told that God's power is at work in them. 
So if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been baptized in him, you've given your life to Christ, let me ask you this question. Do you actually believe that verse? Do you really believe God has power? And do you really believe his powers at work in you? For what? For life, godliness, knowledge. Okay, knowledge is a big deal. You're thinking, yes, that's it. That's a big deal. But also that he has power in you, that he, he can actually bring about transformation in your life and that he's working in you for, for your good. Do you, do you really believe that or does that just fall into the category of, of pretty words? Because I think it's key. I think it's key for our transformation. Here's, here's what I know from the New Testament. The book of Acts chapter two tells us that when we are baptized, as in immersed in water with faith in Jesus, I want to give my life to Jesus, you get immersed in water, two things happen, your sins are forgiven, washed away, and that the Holy Spirit enters you, 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 you it resides in you. It doesn't mean you come out of the water and you tingle or something inside, but, but God's Spirit goes to work in you. Um, I believe that is true, and I think there's an incredible power there. So if you have not been baptized, that's my first challenge is write on your connection card, hey, I'm interested in baptism. We can baptize you after services. Um, in 2810, we have on our property here, we have a baptistry ready to go. Uh, we could baptize you during the week. You could get together, a group of friends come over and baptize. Like, we can, we can do this. Um, that, that's my challenge to you. If you've not been baptized, Allow God's spirit to come inside you and, and start there. As you're, it's not a finish line. It's really more like a starting line of, of transformation. Um, but for those who have been baptized also, um, I want to just say this. Um, we sang today, and I love the song that we sang, You're Making All Things New. And it comes from, the idea comes from Revelation 21. At the end of history, you see God uh, speaking, and he says, Behold, I'm making all things new. And I love, love, love that idea. Not just that he would make new mountains or rivers or cities or, or the sun and, and all that kind of stuff. Not that all of that won't be made new. That's fine. But I love the idea that people are made new, that we are a new creation, that, that God can start over with us and make something in us. And, and I am, I'm, I'm inspired by the idea. I'm, I'm hopeful of the idea for myself and for people that I know as well, that God will make a, a new thing and so let me just challenge you with that because I think um, it's time to start lowering our potential. It's time to start becoming what God is calling us to be. Um, so, so think about the world that we're conforming to uh, and think differently. Get off that track on purpose and then um, allow and listen for God's spirit. We'll talk more about that throughout the series here, but allow God's spirit to start reshaping you. Let's pray. God, thank you for making all things new, for... Um, that, that you don't just let it all fall apart, but that you have a plan and, and a future and, and a, for us. Um, God, as we remember your son Jesus dying for our sins, that we celebrate him in the bread and juice of communion, we, um, we, we remember that your plan for renewal uh, happens there, that, that we can come to you and that we can be made new as well as we, as we die to ourselves. We are crucified with Christ. Um, God, as we take communion as we sing, um, as, we, as we reflect quietly. I, I pray um, that, we, that we really remember, remember that sacrifice and we think about maybe the ways that we are conforming a little too much to the culture around us and, and the ways that we need to think differently about our situation. Um, yeah, thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.